Welcome to this special presentation of the unabridged audiobook of Afterlife, a rainy day investigation on the Bedtime Stories for Insomniacs fiction podcast. Afterlife was inspired by a real-life investigation conducted by co-author and parapsychologist Lloyd Auerbach that was the case that made him believe in ghosts. Although Afterlife is book two in the series, you can enjoy it as a standalone story. However, you'll likely also want to listen to Near Death, the novel that introduces Dr. Jennifer Day, anthropology professor and parapsychologist, to her skeptical partner, former police detective Nate Rainey. In Afterlife, Danny, a young boy, makes friends with the ghost of a woman, Maureen, who used to live in the house his family has moved into. He's the only one who can see and hear her. Maureen died 15 years earlier, trying to make her escape from a botched bank robbery, at which time she hid millions of dollars in cash and valuables. Unfortunately, she can't remember where, but that's not going to stop her old partners from doing everything they can to find their long-lost treasure, no matter what the cost. If you enjoyed this free presentation, I hope you'll take a minute to post a review on Amazon, Audible, and Goodreads, as well as your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to listen to Near Death, along with my weekly short stories, here on Bedtime Stories for Insomniacs. And now, Part 11 of Afterlife, A Rainy Day Investigation, by Rich Housick, Arnold Rundick, and Lloyd Auerbach. Chapter 38 Eleanor Rainey checked her purse, making sure she had everything she needed before she left the house. She could make out her keys, wallet, and phone, nestled in among the collection of tissues, lozenges, lipsticks, and other odds and ends. She checked the smartwatch Nate had given her. Aside from telling her the time, it complained that the battery was getting low but it should last till she got home. If she delayed any longer, she would miss the bus that took her to Harmony's storefront parlor, and keeping Harmony waiting was not something she wanted to do. She looked around to make sure she had turned out the lights and shut off the television, then opened the front door. She gasped when she saw Dr. Day standing before her, seemingly frozen in the act of knocking. Sorry, didn't mean to frighten you, Jennifer said. Eleanor paused to catch her breath. She offered a reassuring smile. You just surprised me, dearie. I tried to call, but there was no answer. Is everything all right? Sometimes I don't hear the cell phone, and I don't have any idea how to get the messages, Eleanor explained. Well, did you forget about our meeting with Sam? Jennifer asked. Sam? We were expecting you an hour ago. I came by to make sure you were okay. Yes, yes, I'm fine, Eleanor reassured her. She glanced at her watch. I really must be going. I don't want to miss my bus. Where are you headed? I have an appointment, Eleanor said. What about Sam? Eleanor looked away from Jennifer. What is it? I thought you liked Sam. Oh, it's not me. What do you mean? Eleanor looked anxious. What's wrong? You can tell me. The older woman clutched the straps of her purse. It's Ben, she said. Ben? Maybe he doesn't like Sam. I've always been able to talk to him when I see Harmony. But with Sam... Jennifer smiled. I see. You know, in my experience, it's not always the medium a spirit is attracted to, but the loved one. Eleanor seemed confused. But the other time we met your friend, he said Ben wasn't there. Jennifer shrugged. Sam explained about that. Remember? How someone who has passed doesn't experience time and space the way we do? Eleanor shook her head, unconvinced. That's not what Harmony says. Oh, what did she say? 
The older woman hesitated. She thinks maybe Ben doesn't trust Sam. Ah, and you trust Harmony. Of course. She's always been there for me. And for Ben. Do you trust me? Jennifer asked. Eleanor seemed suddenly embarrassed. Of course I do. You've been very nice to me, and I know Nate trusts you. I've been working with mediums for years. Sam is probably the best I've ever seen. If I were to trust anyone to help you speak to Ben, it would be him. But the last time we tried, so we try again. And if Ben doesn't appear, we try once more. I promise you, Ben is not going to refuse to speak to you because of the medium you choose. If the roles were reversed, would that stop you? Wouldn't you want to communicate with Ben by any means possible? That argument seemed to reach Nate's mother. I suppose so. Let me drive you to Sam's place. Give him another chance. At the very least, you'll make Nate feel better that you tried. That's worth something, isn't it? All right, Eleanor conceded. But I really should call Harmony. She's not going to be happy. Melody has been driving her mad lately. Maybe you should go see her. Why don't we stop by on the way? To let Ben know that Nate would like you to try using Sam, Jennifer asked. The older woman shook her head. I don't know if Harmony would like that, she answered fearfully. Jennifer stepped closer and put her arm around Eleanor. If Harmony really cares about you and Ben, she'll understand. She'd want you to be close to him any way you could. Jennifer's argument made sense. Harmony was her friend. Surely she would understand how important it was to Nate that she give Sam another chance. Okay. Great. I'm sure everything will be just fine, Jennifer assured her. Chapter 39 You really think it's possible? Dale asked Liam. The deputy paced, deep in thought. He paused and ran a hand through his hair. Personally, I still have my doubts, but the father sure was convinced. If Maureen was a ghost or a spirit or whatever is haunting that old place, why is she suddenly making herself known now? Maybe it's just a publicity stunt. They found out who the house used to belong to, saw the story in the news, and they're playing it up for attention. Liam stopped pacing and looked out the window. They don't seem the type. The wife, Marsha, doesn't want any part of it. Greg, the husband, seems all in, but he's got two young kids. Doesn't feel like he's trying to cash in from the way he was talking about it at the barber shop. He just wants answers. Did you ask him about the duffel bag? Liam turned his stare away from the mountains in the distance and directed it at Dale. I didn't have to. Old Henry Cooper brought it up. Asked him straight up if Maureen had told the kid where she hid the loot. And? He kind of sidestepped the issue. So what do you want to do? Go to the house and ask if we can speak with Maureen? Liam shook his head. Apparently the boy is the only one who can see or hear her. Dale watched as the deputy walked from one end of his tiny room to the other. It can't be a setup. The feds are smart, but to put an entire family in that house, have them renovate it for months, and then hope that the story trickles out to us, is a completely crazy idea. Any more crazy than Maureen actually haunting the old place? Dale asked. Liam held up his hand to silence Dale. Listen, they say the boy is the only one who can talk to her. But how many people have actually tried? I mean, if she was going to haunt anyone, it would be you, wouldn't it? The love of her life? What are you saying? What if she can talk to other people? You or her husband? If anyone has a connection to Maureen, 
It should be you. Dale shrugged, still skeptical of the notion that Marine was a ghost. So what do you propose? We go there and I strike up a conversation with Marine? Get her to tell me where she hid the loot? We're not getting anywhere boring over maps. It's worth a try. And what if I can't? Dale saw the answer to his question in Liam's determined eyes, and he didn't like it. Then we're going to have to take him. Chapter 40 Harmony stood before the stove in the room behind her parlor, waiting for the kettle to boil. She heard the bell attached to the front door of her waiting room tinkle faintly, pulled a phone out of her pocket, and tapped open an app. On the screen appeared a fisheye view of the entrance to her establishment. She pressed the button on the side of her phone that raised the volume so she could hear her guests as well as see them. Harmony truly did have the gift. She was sure of that. But it didn't hurt to get a little help from technology once in a while. The kettle started to whistle, and Harmony quickly picked it up off the burner and poured the steaming water into a cup with a waiting tea bag. She dunked the bag several times before returning her attention to the video feed on her phone. There were two people, Eleanor Rainey and another woman who Harmony recognized as the same one who was present when Eleanor's skeptical son had attended one of her sessions. So much negative energy in that man. So much doubt and distrust. Harmony breathed a sigh of relief when it became evident he had not accompanied them this time. She sat down at a small table, holding her tea in one hand and her phone in the other. It was her experience that leaving her guests to wait a while helped them settle their minds and loosen their lips. She never had trouble receiving messages from the spirits, as frustratingly vague as they sometimes were, but it made her job a little bit easier if she had a jumping-off point to get started from. The woman with Eleanor, Harmony couldn't remember what her name was, walked around the waiting room, examining the assortment of statues and candles and crystals displayed on shelves and small tables. She picked up one of the candles and discovered the price tag stuck to the bottom. Her eyes widened at the cost of the seemingly commonplace item. The medium scoffed at the woman's reaction. Obviously, she didn't realize that all of those candles were personally blessed by Harmony. Eleanor sat on the small couch where she usually waited. This time, she seemed nervous. She clutched her purse on her lap with both hands, her gaze furtively darting around the room. Maybe we should come back another time. Okay, her companion answered. Let's go. Eleanor hesitated. But I really should talk to Ben. The other woman smiled warmly. Of course, whatever you want. Does she usually keep you waiting? Eleanor's companion looked around the room, her eye settling on the spot where the camera lens was hidden in the eye of an ebony owl statue. She smiled, then crossed the room to sit next to the old woman. Eleanor's tension eased. I don't mind. It gives me a chance to tell Ben things in private. I know he can't talk back to me without harmony, but I hope he can hear me anyway. The other woman glanced back to the camera. I'm sure he can she assured Eleanor. Harmony sipped at her tea. There was something about her client's friend that made her uneasy. Are you afraid he might not want to talk to you if you go see Sam? The woman asked Eleanor purposefully. Harmony sat up in the flimsy kitchen chair holding up her weight. She put aside the tea and held the phone with both hands. So, this was who was trying to convince Eleanor to take her business to another psychic. Eleanor shrugged. I don't want things to change. What about Nate? The old woman sighed. I'm so worried about him, she confessed. I just wish he would try to be more open-minded, Eleanor's companion suggested. Eleanor smiled. You too? The other woman nodded. 
She took one of Eleanor's hands into hers and gave it a gentle squeeze. Thank you, Jennifer. Jennifer. Yes, that was the name she had given. Jennifer Sunshine, or Bright, Day. Jennifer Day was the other woman's name. Harmony tapped back to the home screen on her phone. Siri, who is Jennifer Day? she asked. The phone answered by pulling up search results from the internet, including Jennifer's Wikipedia page. A parapsychologist, Harmony noted. Well, at least she wasn't one of those skeptical debunkers. Or a cop, not that Harmony had anything to hide. Maybe she fudged a few numbers on her taxes, but that didn't count. Harmony continued reading Jennifer's condensed biography as she sipped at her tea. Jennifer checked her watch. How long does it usually take? she asked Eleanor. Nate's mother took a deep breath. I don't think she uses clocks. Harmony relies on the spirits to tell her when someone's here. Jennifer glanced again at the black owl statue resting on a high shelf that had one glass eye different from the other. An enormous cat scurried out from under the beaded curtain that separated Harmony's salon from her waiting room. Jennifer didn't remember it from her last visit with Nate and Eleanor. Hello, who are you? Jennifer asked as a large feline rubbed up against her ankles. Eleanor smiled that she saw the cat so obviously approving of Jennifer's presence. That's Melody, Harmony's sister. She generally doesn't like people. Her sister? Jennifer asked. Before Eleanor could explain, there was a sound of rustling beads as Harmony pushed her way through the colorful curtain, making a grand entrance. Welcome, she said, then bowed her head. The spirits are ready. She held out a hand in Eleanor's general direction. Eleanor gave Jennifer an embarrassed smile, then fished into her purse for a credit card, which she handed to Harmony. Jennifer remembered Nate's last reaction to discovering that his mother was still paying psychics with her credit card. She stood up and pulled out her own wallet. Let me take care of this, she insisted, then turned to Harmony with a stack of twenties in her hand. Jennifer counted out five at the bills and paused. Harmony smiled. Jennifer added one more to the collection of bills, and Harmony deftly snatched it and tucked it somewhere under the neckline of her dress. Come, Harmony said. They are waiting for us and then she disappeared into the darkness of the room beyond the curtain. Eleanor pushed her way through the beads, and Jennifer followed. When they entered the seance room, it was much as Jennifer remembered. Harmony was seated in her throne, and her guests took the remaining two seats that had been placed around the table. Harmony placed her hands on the felt covering, palms up. Eleanor placed her own hand into one of the mediums, and Jennifer did the same with the other. Then they took each other's hands, completing the circle. Harmony's breasts heaved as she drew in a deep breath. I sense conflict, she began. Something is bothering you, Eleanor. The older woman shot Jennifer a look, then lowered her gaze. I need to ask Ben something, she replied. Something that he and you might not like. Harmony kept her eyes closed and lifted her chin as if smelling something in the air. He knows. You seek his blessing to talk through another medium, she said plainly. Jennifer smiled, recalling the conversation she had with Eleanor in the parlor. Yes, Eleanor confirmed. My son, our son, Nate, wants me to try someone else. Ben wants to know why this is different. Harmony wanted to know as well. Does it have something to do with your guest, Dr. Day? Eleanor sucked in her breath, trying to remember if she had ever told Harmony that Jennifer was a professor. Harmony smiled. The spirits are familiar with her. She is a friend, she said, smiling at Jennifer in a way that could have been a warning. Eleanor settled a bit. 
she has a friend she'd like me to use, and since Nate trusts her, I thought I'd maybe give it another try. I see, said Harmony. I will ask, but I must warn you, in my experience, once a spirit forms a bond with a medium, they are sometimes reluctant to communicate through others. She started swaying, humming random notes to herself. And then, there it was. The voice of the spirits in her mind, unmistakable and emphatic. Yes, I will speak with my wife through anyone. Harmony's eyes sprung open. An expression of shock and surprise took over her face. She looked at Eleanor, then to Jennifer, fixing on the younger woman's eyes with an inquisitive gaze. What is it? Jennifer asked. What did he say? Eleanor added. Harmony let go of the woman's hands. The voice had been so clear, so direct. She felt compelled to relay the message, despite what it might cost her. He said that you have his blessing, Harmony replied, as much surprised by the words coming out of her mouth as her guests were. Oh, thank you, Ben, Eleanor said to the air above the table. Nate will be so pleased. The medium averted her gaze from Jennifer. She wondered if the parapsychologist had somehow planned this, somehow manipulated the spirits. But that was ridiculous. Part of her was disappointed knowing that she wasn't the exclusive conduit between Eleanor and her deceased husband. But another part of her was thrilled that the voice had been so clear, so convincing. It had been a long time since she had made that strong of a connection. If you'll excuse me, would you mind seeing yourselves out? I must rest, she said then stood up from her chair and passed through the sliding door that separated the business portion of the space from the small residence in the back. I wasn't expecting that, Eleanor confided. Neither was I, Jennifer said. Neither was I. Chapter 41 The shanty, a cop bar about a block from Nate's old precinct, was fairly typical of the type of establishment off-duty law enforcement would frequent in the movies and television shows only a lot bigger and not quite so dark as you would imagine. The owner had acquired the lease on the space next door about ten years earlier, and had expanded it into a dining area with booths along the wall and a pair of pool tables in the back. Nate sat at one of the booths, a legal pad on the table before him, a glass of wine off to the side. The selection of vintages at the shanty was small, but the owner always had a couple bottles on hand that Nate could enjoy. His former co-workers would tease him at times about his choice of adult beverage, there were plenty of times when a cold beer hit the spot, but on most occasions he preferred wine. And if he was being honest, it worked better at taking the edge off the pain that lived deep in his shoulder. The other thing he liked about the shanty was that it wasn't filled with a deafening soundtrack. In the evenings it got loud from the sheer volume of people who crowded in at the end of the day shift, but right now, in that time between lunch and happy hour, it was quiet, except for a television playing a ball game behind the bar. Nate gazed down at the pad, twiddling a pen between his fingers as he stared at the empty page. Normally it would be filled edge to edge with lists, bullet-pointed facts, observations, questions, and conclusions. But today his mind was on other things, his mother most prominent. Jennifer was taking her to see her friend Sam again. The psychic, she knew, Nate couldn't help thinking of the word psychic in quotes, to hopefully convince his mother to at least lessen the frequency of her visits to the storefront medium she usually visited. Lately, it had been mostly one woman, Harmony, who in Nate's mind was a complete and obvious fraud. The cheap parlor tricks she had done when he, Jennifer, and his mother had visited her had sent him over the edge, something he wasn't proud of. But his frustration had built to a point that he had to let it out. 
Why couldn't she see how these people were taking advantage of her? And then there was the encounter with the foremans. He didn't know what their angle was, but Nate was convinced everyone who claimed to see ghosts had one. Nate had been watching the family closely, like he would if he was observing an interrogation, searching for the telltale signs of deception. But with Danny and his parents, he couldn't see any. There was tension among them, especially between Greg and Marcia, but as far as he could tell, no one was lying. He scratched a few words at the top of his pad. Explanations for Danny's hallucinations, he wrote. Jennifer would excoriate him for writing such a judgmental heading, but then again, that was the reason why she insisted that Nate work with her team, to bring a skeptical eye to their investigations. For Nate, the notion that the boy was actually communicating with a ghost was the least likely explanation of all. Emily would probably throw that Sherlock Holmes quote in his face in her annoying monotone. Once you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, no matter how improbable, must be the truth. Well, he hadn't eliminated the possible, let alone the impossible, yet. So he wasn't close to accepting that a dead woman had befriended a fifth grader. He started filling out a bullet-pointed list. Mental illness, schizophrenia, drug use, found his parents' stash of mushrooms, possible trauma from... Loss of grandmother. Move. New school. Something happening there? Check with teachers. Do you make a list of all the lists you make? A voice asked. Nate looked up and saw Max Lee smiling down at him. Hello, Max, Nate said. Hey, boss, Max answered as he slid into the booth opposite his old partner. Today he wore jeans and a t-shirt, his jacket hooked over a finger and slung over his shoulder. He tossed the pale rose-colored linen sports coat into a heap next to him on the bench causing Nate to reflexively cringe as he imagined all the wrinkles he had just made. There was such a thing as too casual. You know, I never really was your boss. We were partners, Nate reminded him. Max shrugged. Whatever you say, boss. Nate couldn't help but laugh. Listen, Max, I'm sorry about how things went out in Danville. I really appreciated you showing up and making sure I was okay. Don't mention it. By the way, when's your next surgery? Max asked, nodding at Nate's right shoulder. Two months, Nate replied. You gonna tell your mom this time? Nate shook his head. She has other things on her mind. Well, the next time she calls me, I'm not gonna cover for you. You didn't cover for me the last time. Yeah, I can't lie to moms. How's the job going? Nate asked, changing the subject. Translation, do I miss you? Max asked back. Nate smiled. How could you not? How's the new partner working out? Max sat back inside. Well, I'm stuck with the rookie. Guess the captain still has it in for me. Maybe she blames me for letting her best detective get shot. Wasn't anyone's fault, Max. Max nodded. Anyway, Nate went on. If you need any tips on working with a new annoying partner, I'd be happy to tell you about this guy I got stuck with a few years back. Ha! Not too smart of you throwing jabs at the guy you need a favor from. Nate feigned defense. Why do you assume that if I needed a favor, I'd come to you? Max took a thumb drive out of his pocket, placed it on the table, and set it spinning. Guess you don't need this, then. Nate reached out and slapped his hand over the drive and held it up in front of his face. It's not filled with porn this time, is it? Max rolled his eyes. Jeez, I mixed up the drive one time, and you never gave that one back to me, by the way. Nate shook his head. He slipped the drive into his jacket pocket. What are the highlights? My buddy over at San Quentin said Dale Everly was a bit of a celebrity in prison. 
He was offered a reduced sentence several times over the years if he told them where his wife hid the stuff they stole. Why did he hold out? He swore up and down that he had no idea what she did with it. Either he was playing the long game or they weren't as close as he thought. Nate nodded. Why the interest? Max asked. You joining the treasure hunt? One of the safe deposit boxes they emptied had a diamond necklace in it. It was appraised at ten million at the time of the robbery. I'll bet Dale Everly could fence it for a million or two easy. I heard that, Nate said. With the cash he could score for the diamonds, he could easily disappear to a non-extradition country. If he knew where it was, he wouldn't be hanging around at some halfway house. Is that why you were out in Danville last week? It's related to a case that Dr. Day is working on. Max smiled knowingly. I like how you call her Dr. Day to try and make me think there's nothing going on with you two. There's not. Is that why you haven't invited me over to watch a game in months? I haven't invited you over because you leave watermarks on my coffee table and fart into the sofa cushions. That was your dog. Seriously, why are you playing hard to get? Ask her out. What makes you think I haven't? And she turned me down. Because I've known you for over five years. He'd opened his mouth to respond, but hesitated. I knew it, Max said. Man, you have someone who would be perfect for you, who obviously likes you, and you're too chicken to pull the trigger. Well, you're wrong about that. Which part? She doesn't like me. It's a purely professional relationship. She told you this? Nate paused, considering whether he should tell Max the whole story. He was oddly curious as to what his old partner's take on Jennifer's actions was. We went out to dinner one night. Wow, big step, bro. With my mom. There's the old Nate. Nate ignored the comment. Afterward, we dropped my mom off and then took her back to her place. Wow, that sounds like a move I would do. Did she invite you up? Nate gave him a what-do-you-think smirk. Oh, right. Otherwise, you wouldn't be telling me the story. Sorry, dude. That's bad, isn't it? I mean, if she was interested, she would have at least invited me up for a drink or offered a rain check. Not even a peck on the cheek? Max asked. Nate shook his head. Max winced. I don't know what to tell you, buddy. I called that one all wrong. I thought for sure you were in after the fifth time she turned me down. You asked her out? Nate asked, surprised. Of course. I got tired of waiting for you to make a move. Nate moaned. Well, I guess we're both not her type. I usually give it ten tries before I write someone off. I got the message in one. Chapter 42 Eleanor struggled to make herself comfortable on the great white couch in Sam Lightman's living room. She felt like a little kid in a big chair, unsure where to put her arms, and ended up gripping the straps of her purse tightly in her lap. Jennifer sat in a chair off to the side, offering moral support. Eleanor had insisted that she be there during her session with Sam. It felt strange to Eleanor, sitting in someone's living room rather than an incense-filled, dimly-lit chamber. Sam sat across from her. He was distractingly handsome, with a disarming smile and a casual manner. Instead of finding it comforting... It added to her anxiety. Sam sensed her discomfort. Let me take your bag, he offered, reaching out his hand. Eleanor looked at the purse in her lap, then lifted it and offered it to Sam. He smiled as he took it from her grasp and set it on the table next to the sofa. Then he scooted a bit closer to Eleanor and took her hands into his. He took slow, deep breaths as he stared at Eleanor, continuing to smile. His hands were warm. Do you want me to close my eyes or anything? She asked. If you want to, Sam replied. 
Just relax. He guided Eleanor through a series of deep breaths, and she started to let go of some of her stress. Is he here? Eleanor asked. Is Ben with us? Sam smiled and nodded. Finally, Eleanor returned Sam's warm smile and sighed with relief. The rest of her anxiety melted away. What is he saying? she asked. Not much, Sam replied. I get the feeling he wasn't a very talkative man. Eleanor laughed. It was always a struggle to engage Ben in a conversation more than three words long. She had always assumed that since he had passed, he had become more chatty because of her sessions with Harmony and other mediums. But now it felt like she was closer to Ben than she had been in a long time, without exchanging a word. It reminded her of the moments, especially before Nate came along, when he would come up behind her when she was preparing dinner or doing the dishes, wrap his arms around her, kiss her ear, and whisper, I love you. He just whispered something in my ear, Sam said. He says you know what it was. Eleanor broke at that point. Tears welled up in her eyes while at the same time she smiled with joy. Oh, Ben, I miss you so much. He's always with you, Sam told her. You just have to remember those moments that make you feel like this. How can I do that without you? Eleanor asked. I don't have your gifts. You have the greatest gift of all. Life. Live it. Enjoy the people and experiences you can gather right now. And then you can take them with you when you join Ben. Hopefully well into the future. He'll always be there waiting for you. Sam laughed again. He doesn't say much, but what he does gets right to the point, doesn't it? Eleanor looked at Sam. What? What did he say? Sam squeezed her hand. A boy needs his mother. Eleanor lifted a hand to her mouth. Those were the last words Ben had spoken to her in life as she held his hand in the hospice bed, and he closed his eyes for the last time. Thank you, she said to Sam. Thank you, Sam said back to her. I hope I find a relationship like you and Ben have. He looked briefly over at Jennifer. Eleanor noticed a glance. She stole a look over at Jennifer who appeared to blush. Well, I'm sure you'll find someone someday, Eleanor said, patting Sam on the hand. Thank you again for your time. I'm sorry I was late. I must be keeping you from something. No, not at all. If you like, that rain check for dinner is still available, Sam offered. He turned to Jennifer. I believe the chef is making your favorite, duck a l'orange. Really? Jennifer asked with a note of interest. That's really nice of you, Eleanor interjected. But Dr. Day and I have to be going. She turned to Jennifer. I really need to get home. I have the crock pot on. All right. Jennifer said. Another time, Sam. Thanks again for everything. Feel free to come back any time, Eleanor. It was nice seeing you again. And meeting Ben. I'll think about it, Eleanor promised. Thank you. She rose from the sofa and took Jennifer by the hand, dragging her to the front door. Sam rushed ahead to open the door for them. Eleanor smiled politely and pulled Jennifer out of the house and back to the van. Thank you for listening to Afterlife, a rainy day investigation on the Bedtime Stories for Insomniacs Fiction Podcast. Remember to subscribe, share, rate, and review not only this podcast, but the novel you are currently listening to. The links to Amazon, Audible, and Goodreads are in the description for this episode. You can sign up for the Insomniacs newsletter at bedtimestories.studio and get a free bookmark. And if you want to know more about the rainy day investigations paranormal mystery book series, 
visit rainyandday.com. That's R-A-N-E-Y and D-A-Y-E dot com. You can find out more about the host of Bedtime Stories for Insomniacs at richhosick.com. Thanks again, and all the very best.